0: Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Really glad that you're here and invite you to take out your Bibles and turn in them to Psalm number 23, right in the middle of your Bible to Psalm number 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could grab that and turn to page 401 in the front part, and you would be at Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is a classic passage of Scripture. It's one of the crown jewels of the Bible. And we have been studying Psalm 23 under the title, The God Who Is There, and that He is our all in all. And I don't know about you, but I have really been enjoying this study because it has given me an opportunity to learn more about me and we can learn about each other because we are, in this analogy, sheep. And it's also been an opportunity for me to learn more about God, who is my shepherd. A very, very wonderful portion of the Word of God. I like what W.T. Davison has said. He said this, the meaning and helpfulness of this little psalm can never be exhausted, so long as... Men like sheep wander and need guidance, and so long as they learn to find it in God, their shepherd. And Psalm 23 is jammed with practical, encouraging truth. And if you have your Bibles open, I would like to read the first three verses of Psalm 23 and would invite you to follow along in your Bible as I am reading what David wrote. He writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, last time when we were looking at the God who was there, we were looking at the fact that He is the God who satisfies, who meets our needs, and we saw that in verse 2 and the first part of verse 3. Today what we want to do is finish up a few thoughts on Him being the God who satisfies, and we also want to look at the fact that He is the God who guides, which we're going to see at the end of verse 3. Now I know a lot has happened in the last week and we just had OU Texas weekend and many of your minds may be elsewhere, but I want to remind you that last week we looked at the fact that like sheep, we are prone to worry. And we saw how God satisfies our needs and how He calms our heart. Now today we want to look at the fact that like sheep, we're not only prone to worry, we're prone to wander. And we're going to see in both cases, whether we're prone to worry or prone to wander, that he restores our soul. Now, last time when we were looking at this, when we talked about sheep and restoring, we said there are two ways that a sheep would need to be restored by a shepherd. The first one, which we looked at last time, was when a sheep was, as they call it, cast. That is, when a sheep had gone to the ground and rolled on its back and it was upside down and a little bit like a turtle, it really can't get right side up again. And so when a sheep was cast, the shepherd would come and restore the sheep and put the sheep back on their feet. But the second way, which we didn't get to last time, that a sheep could be restored, was when it had wandered. When it had wandered. And sheep have a notorious tendency to wander. I was just talking to John Gray after the first service, and he was telling me that at one point his father bought a bunch of sheep because cattle were so low in value at the time. He said the worst mistake he ever made, the fences that would keep cattle in would not keep the sheep in. And there are always sheep getting through the fences and wandering off. And a lot of times when one sheep would wander off, the rest of the flock would follow them and wandering off. Sheep are notorious for their tendency to wander. And it could have been a sheep who wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Now, in that hymn is these words, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Could have been a sheep that wrote that because of their tendency to wander. And you say, well, why would they wander? Well, they might frequently wander from the flock or wander for the shepherd for different reasons. Like they may be feeding in a particular green field and they look up and they see another patch of green that looks greener over there. That looks like greener grass. And so the sheep would wander to it. Or maybe as they were moving down a path and the sheep was following the shepherd, there would be suddenly this alternative path. And the sheep may choose to wander down the alternative path rather than following the shepherd. Or sometimes you might have had a sheep that was just very stubborn. And the sheep would refuse to follow the lead and the directions of the shepherd. And in a willful sort of way, the sheep would wander off. Now remember this analogy, we are like the sheep. And we too have a tendency to wander. It's so interesting that we can be feeding on God's truth, focused on who he is and following him, and then suddenly the world comes along, and the world is promoting different things. The world comes along and says, how about sex outside of marriage, before marriage? There's something you ought to get involved in. Or the world will come along and say, you know what, you really want to be happy in your life, what you need to do is you need to have lots of money. That's the key to happiness. Or the world comes along, as it does today, and it says, you know what the highest value and virtue in the culture is? Tolerance. You need to embrace tolerance, because with tolerance, all lifestyles are legitimate. With tolerance, all religions are right. Everybody has their own path to God. It makes no difference. We want to be tolerant. The world can cause us to wander in that way. Sometimes we wander because we make poor choices. Sometimes we may make poor choices in our dating life. Or we make poor choices in our integrity at work. Or perhaps there's a secret sin that we coddle. And that leads us to wander from the shepherd. Sometimes we wander because of a mistake or a failure that we have. And when we have this mistake and our failure, we tend to drift from being close to the shepherd. We sense a little separation there and then we end up in what I call the downward spiral. You drift away and you just start in this downward path where you go further and further away from the shepherd. Sometimes we wander simply because, like sheep would, out of just stubbornness and rebellion. And we know God says, go down this path, and we say, no, I think I know better. And we just go down a path that we know is not the path that he has for us. And I really appreciate who wrote Psalm 23. Remember, David wrote this psalm. And David was not some high and mighty person up here. wasn't just like regular folks. He knew what it was like to wander off from the shepherd. He knew what it was to wander off into lust. He knew what it was like to wander off into adultery. He knew what it was like to wander off into deception. Yes, he even knew what it was like to wander off into murder. And David knew that when you wander, you feel very vulnerable. And he knew that wandering tends to breed guilt. Keep your finger in Psalm 23 and turn with me to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. And I'll remind you, the first 41 psalms are all psalms of David. And so this is David writing again in Psalm 38. And I want you to notice in particular verses 2 to 4. This is when he had wandered. Notice he says here to God, For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand is pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. What he's really saying here is the guilt is overwhelming since I've wandered off. And as a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. See, when we wander, it breeds some guilt and some heaviness. Look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32, a few pages to the left, and verses 3 and 4. This is a a confessional here. David says to God, when I kept silent about my sin, when I wasn't confessing it to you, when I wasn't repenting from it, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. And my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. He said, it was just like I'm out there in 115 degrees, and you know how that drains you. And to wander off and to make bad choices and not repent and come back to the shepherd, it just eats you up on the inside. Can anyone identify with that? You know, it's interesting when we choose to wander from the shepherd. How frequently we like to use little techniques to make it seem like it's not that big of a deal. You know, one thing we will frequently do is we will try to minimalize things. Oh, doing that, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. We know in the interior it's a big deal, but we'll minimalize it. Not only will we frequently minimalize, we will frequently rationalize Everybody's doing this. Everybody's doing this. We know that God says that we're to be forgiving. Well, wait a minute now. This is all their fault. This is their fault. I'm not budging. See, we're rationalizing when we do that. We tend to minimalize. We tend to rationalize. And yet, down in the core, we know this isn't right. This isn't right. Now, let me just ask you this question. When a sheep would wander, what would the shepherd do? When we as sheep wander, what does the shepherd do? Well, does the shepherd go, oh, well, I've got other sheep. I'm not going to worry about that one. Or does the shepherd go, you know, I'm so frustrated with that sheep, I'm going to go find the sheep, and I'm just going to fling it off a cliff. Is that the way the shepherd responds? You know, the Lord Jesus talked about this in Luke 15. You don't need to turn there. That's the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. But here's what he says there of the shepherd. He said, you have a shepherd who has 100 sheep and one sheep is lost. What does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. And then he brings the lost sheep home. He brings them back home, gets them back on the right path. Now, I was just thinking about this. I I thought, you know, when, when a sheep would wander, there would be more than one way to get it back on the right path to get it back home. I was reading this week about a loggerhead turtle. You know, a loggerhead turtle is that really large sea turtle that you have. And there was a situation on a Florida beach where a loggerhead turtle came to the beach, laid her eggs on the beach, and then became disoriented. And instead of returning back to the sea like she should have, she began to walk deeper into the sea dunes And she was discovered there by a park ranger. Now, what did the park ranger do? Here's what he did. He took a crowbar and flipped the turtle onto her back. You know, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And then he got some of his chains, and he connected the turtle's legs to the tow bar on his Jeep. And then he drove the turtle back to the sea. I'm just trying to picture that, you know, going over the dunes, boom, 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 boom. You know, your feet are up in the air. What's going on here? I don't know. Now that would be one way to bring a lost sheep back. But you know how a shepherd in David's day would do that when a sheep would wander. You know, when he would have the sheep there in the flock and he'd be counting them all and he would go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm missing somebody. He would immediately leave the sheep there and he would go on a search of the countryside for that sheep that had wandered. He would retrace the route that they took when they were traveling and he might come to a fork in a different trail and he would go down that trail looking for that sheep. He would continue to search and listen for the bleating of the sheep And Jesus tells us what would happen then when he would find that lost sheep in Luke 15. He says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder. He would put the sheep, not pulling them behind the jeep, boom, 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 but on his shoulder, and he would trek that sheep back to the safety of the flock. Now at times at times a shepherd might have an extremely stubborn sheep. You know, one who repeatedly refuses to follow the leading of the shepherd, who out of tremendous stubbornness just keeps wandering off. And when a sheep would be like that, it would be a danger to itself because it was very vulnerable. By the way, you do know that's why we have in the church the power of the pack. That's why being a body together, a flock together, is great safety for us spiritually. When we wander off by ourselves, that's when we're more vulnerable. But such a sheep who is so stubborn and would repeatedly wander along would be a danger to itself and would have an adverse effect on the rest of the flock, just as John Gray shared with me. That sheep wanders off. You have other sheep following that sheep. And so here's what a shepherd would do, not out of malice and not out of cruelty, but out of love and kindness. If he had that kind of a stubborn sheep who'd continue to wander off and he finally found it again, here's what he would do. He would break its leg. He would break its leg and then he would splint that. Now, it's very important to understand the difference between the Western way of dealing with sheep and the Eastern way of dealing with sheep. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Brent Riggs out in the gathering hall And he was talking about how for a while his father had sheep. And he said, a lot of times we would transport the sheep, and they were different from cattle in that they would much more be prone to try to jump out of things or to think they could jump out of things. And they might be in this cart, and they would think, I can jump out of there. And so the sheep would jump. And when it would jump, it would often break its leg. And he said, even when my dad splinted its leg, Of course, I'm sure he took them back to the barn somewhere in the splint. See, even when it splinted its leg, the sheep would just give up. And the sheep would die. It happened over and over again. Every single one that jumped out and broke its leg, we splinted the leg, and the sheep died. Because that's the Western way of dealing with a sheep with a broken leg. It's not the Middle Eastern way. Because here's what they would do in the Middle East. When the shepherd would take that stubborn sheep and he would break the leg and he would splint it. What he would then do is carry the sheep on his shoulders. And everywhere the flock went, that's the way that sheep got around, on the shoulders of the shepherd. And then whenever they would rest for a while or, or be feeding, he would have that sheep with a broken leg right by his side. See, that's the Eastern way of dealing with a stubborn sheep. But you know what's interesting? something amazing would happen. There would be a transformation in that sheep. Because the shepherd would carry it everywhere that they went, and the shepherd would have that sheep by his side until its leg healed, a very deep bond would form between that stubborn sheep, previously stubborn sheep, and the shepherd. And when that sheep's leg would heal, it became the most responsive sheep in the flock, the one that would stay the closest by the shepherd's side all the while. In Psalm 119. 67, it says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, before you broke my leg, I wandered but after I went through that process, it transformed me. I had a new perspective on things. Keep your finger in Psalms and go with me in the New Testament to Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. You have to go past First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon. You'll come to Hebrews chapter twelve, and this is a a chapter that talks about how the shepherd, the father, will discipline his children. How should we view that? Well, notice verse 5 of Hebrews 12. It says, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And here it is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And then notice what an honest appraisal we have in verse 11 of the same chapter, chapter 12 and verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Have you wandered from the shepherd? Could it be even today that you are in the midst of his loving discipline in your life? If that's the situation, I just want you to know this, that his arms are open to you. He is there offering you forgiveness and restoration and a new lease on life. And his desire is to restore your energy, to restore your vigor, and to give you fresh hope. See, when we follow... David's lead, he knew what it was like to wander. When we will confess our sin and submit to him again. By the way, there'll still be consequences because David even still had consequences in his life. But there will come blessing back into your life. And that's really his testimony in Psalm 32. You might want to look it up later and read through that. We have a God who is our shepherd and he is the God who satisfies He meets our need of restoration when we need it. Now back in uh, Psalm 23, we want to look at one other aspect, as we said. The second aspect we want to see of the God who is there, who is our shepherd, is he is the God who guides. And we see that in the second part of verse 3. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Literally in the original, he guides me in the right tracks. Now, in that day, in the Middle East, when you would have a, a flock of sheep, there were lots of paths in the countryside. There were various kinds of sheep trails. Different shepherds would maybe have a different sheep trail. There were wild animal trails. There were false trails. A very common thing was for robbers, basically, to beat down a false trail. And the idea was we want people to go down that thinking it's a trail that leads somewhere. And then they would lie in wait on that false trail. All these various paths out there. And it's the same thing we have today. We have many paths that are out there. And the culture is always crying out at us. Take this trail. Take that trail. Oh, this is a better trail. Oh, you'll be happier if you go down that trail. See, we live in a culture that is basically trying to tell us, you don't really need God. It's a weak thing to need God. See, if you could just do such and such, fill in the blank. If you could just do blank, oh, then you would really feel fulfilled. You don't need God. If you could just get fill in the blank, whatever it may be, you'll be fulfilled. You don't really need God. If you could just experience blank in your life, Go off to some resort somewhere for several weeks. Oh, then you're finally going to be fulfilled. Men and women, we were made to have a personal relationship with God. That's the way we were created. We were created to know God and to walk with him and to follow him. But the culture is saying, "No, there's another way you ought to go. One of the paths that the culture is promoting today is the path of hedonism. You go, hedonism? I never hear anybody talk about hedonism. No, they don't use the word. But what they're really saying is, here's the way that you find enjoyment and happiness in life. It's through pleasure and fun. It's all about getting enough pleasure. It's all about having enough fun. That's the trail you ought to go down. Or the culture comes along and says, it's the trail of materialism, as we said. What you want to do if you really want to be happy is you need more stuff. You need more money. Money is the secret to all happiness. And we tend to buy into that because we think if I were to win the lottery, my goodness, my life would just be happy everywhere. The world sells us on those kinds of trails. One of the trails is sexual pleasure. Oh, don't worry about marriage. Marriage is just a piece of paper. That doesn't mean anything. It's just all about that sexual pleasure. The world will come along and say, no, it's it's about accomplishments. If you can make enough accomplishments and get high enough on the scale, climb the ladder high enough, you'll be happy. If you can just get to prominence where everybody knows you. We all know that, that Hollywood people, the ones that are prominent, they're the happiest. Those are the ways to be fulfilled. Everybody knows who you are. You know, King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us a lot of lessons about this. You remember, he was the richest person who ever lived. Let me say it again. The richest person who ever lived by leap years ahead of everybody else. He was the king. He answered to no one. Nobody. Nobody. And if you remember, in the book of Ecclesiastes, when we study that, he puts on this grand experiment. He takes all of this wealth and all this time and all of this free accountability. He had nothing, he had, it wasn't accountable to anybody. And he pursued all of these paths of the world. And if you, if you go and you study back through that, you know what he says to us? As he went down those paths, he said, don't come this way. Don't go this way. Don't take that trail. He says, in fact, he found them to be empty and hollow. In terms of finding fulfillment there, he said it was like chasing after the wind. And in Ecclesiastes 12 13, you don't need to turn there, but basically, he gives us the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. He says, here's the bottom line have a relationship with God, have a relationship with a shepherd, and follow him. He says, the best advice that I can give you is have a relationship with God, the shepherd, and follow him. And and what's interesting is we live in this culture that has been going down these various trails, and guess what? You reap consequences. You reap consequences for going our own way. Look around the culture. What are people reaping? They're reaping addiction. What are they pursuing? Pleasure. We're reaping Broken families and broken marriages and divorce. We're reaping broken hearts. One of the things that we end up reaping from going down all these various trails is selfishness. It's a horrible thing to have, you know, where I'm just insisting on my rights. It's about me. I better get what I deserve. As a culture, we are reaping misery. And despair, why? Because people go down the trails, what do they find out? It's a dead end. It doesn't deliver. And the psalmist says about the shepherd, he guides me in the right tracks. This is the coolest thing. God, who is God, knows all the trails. He knows where the trails lead. He knows the end from the beginning. And one of the things I have been thankful for in my life is that I have not been frustrated spending a decade or decades of what is a short life guessing on the right trails. To me, nothing could be more frustrating than to while away a whole decade of your life guessing on trails. Go down that one, nope, that's a dead end. Come back, how about I'll try this one? With God, that's not necessary. I was thinking this week about something that is really an antique today. It's something my father-in-law used to get. They belonged to AAA whenever they were taking a trip somewhere. They would call AAA and say, we're going to go from like Oklahoma City to Florida, so we need a trip tick. How many people have ever heard of a trip tick? Yeah, there's there's a a, a number of you here. But you would get a trip tick from, from AAA when you were going on your journey. It would tell you which routes, which highways to take, which turns to take, where you turn. And he would get a trip tick. Now, today we would say we would go on MapQuest or Google Maps. It was interesting. I went to AAA, AAA AAA.com, and you can still get a triptych. You can still put it in there, and you can even pay a little bit, and it'll print it off for you. So I, I guess they're still valid today. But here's the point. Our shepherd offers us a spiritual triptych. And that triptych is his wisdom. And he offers to us his wisdom. Turn with me a few pages to the right to the book of Proverbs, chapter 2. Proverbs 2. This gets me motivated. God says, My wisdom can tell you how to lead your life. Proverbs 2 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He will protect you from making wrong turns in your life, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. It says, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It feels good when we're walking the right way. Discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. His wisdom keeps us from that. Look at Proverbs 6, a few pages over. Proverbs 6 and verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father, verse 20. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, notice this, verse 22, they will guide you. And when you sleep, they'll watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. Ever got yourself into some kind of trouble in your life and you found yourself thinking, how did I get into this situation? Anyone ever been like that? You get there and you're going, how did I get into this situation? And the answer is always the same. A series of deviations and detours off the paths of righteousness. Off the right tracks. And we learn from David, he says, that my shepherd guides me in the paths of righteousness. Now, how does he guide us? How does he do that? Well, one way that he guides us is through the word of God, through this book. I want to point out to you some of the verses from Psalm 119, which is really a celebration of God's truth. Verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by keeping it according to your word, following the paths of righteousness. Verse 24, psalmist says, your testimonies are my delight. Why are they a delight to him? They are my counselors. When I want to know about the kind of choices I ought to make and the kind of directions I ought to take, they counsel me. Verse 72, the law of your mouth, he says, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. He's saying, this book is more valuable than millions of dollars. Do you really believe that? It's true, it's true. Verse 100, I understand more than the aged. What he means by that is you have people who've cultivated life experience. You cultivate a lot of life experience, you have a lot of wisdom. He says, I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. He's saying scripture is a wisdom shortcut. You don't get out a bunch of false trails. Verse 105, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This tells me how to stay on the right tracks. I just want you to know, it's not mere tradition at Wildwood Community Church that we spend some 35 minutes in a service teaching from the Bible. This is not, has nothing to do with some tradition we got from somewhere, and we're just doing what we've always done. We're doing this because we think it's valuable to have the right paths laid out before us. That's why we feature the study of the Bible in our small groups. We're not doing this just to go through the motions. We're not just showing up on a Sunday just to spend some time in church. No, we want to see the paths of righteousness. We want to learn more about the right tracks that God says we are to go on. So how does he guide us? Well, number one, through the word of God. And number two, he guides us by the Holy Spirit. You could just jot down the references, John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will teach you all things. See, God who resides in us is always teaching us. And then in John 16, 13, he will guide you into all the truth. He will be there to guide you. See, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Why is he called our helper? Because we need help. And Paul in Romans 8 talks about being led by the Spirit. And he talks about how we are to walk by the Spirit in daily dependence on the Spirit of God. He is the God who guides. Now, I want you to see we're almost through with verse 3, but there's a phrase there that is very easily overlooked. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Notice what it says next. For his name's sake. The New Living Translation says bringing honor to his name. A lot of people say, how do you know when you're grown up? I could tell you when you know someone's grown up. I can give it to you. Here's the bottom line. You know that someone has grown up when they realize that life is not about me. You see, that's the problem with a baby. It thinks life is about me. That's the problem with toddlers. They think life is about me. That's the problem with elementary school kids. They think life is about me. That's the problem with most teenagers. They think life is about me. It's a problem with some adults who've never grown up because they think life is about me. See, many live their life as if if their name is the name on the marquee, the movie marquee. It's about Bruce. No. It's all about his glory, it's all about honoring him. You see, he's the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep, he died so that we could live. I've always enjoyed Paul's emphasis in Ephesians chapter 1 in Ephesians 1 verse 6 he says to the praise of the glory of his grace and in Ephesians 1:12 he says to the praise of his glory and in uh, verse 14 to the praise of his glory see that's the perspective we ought to see that's whose name is on the marquee And that's why for more than 31 years when I go to sign a formal letter, that's the way I sign my letter, to the praise of his glory because I'm reminding myself it's not my name that's on the marquee, it's his. Very important to understand. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And David had his share of times when he drifted. He had his share of times when he wandered off the path, but he learned, he learned. And he calls out to us in Psalm 34.3, and he says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He's saying he's the great shepherd. He is the God who is there. He is the one who is our all and all. And this is some passage of Scripture that we have. As we get ready to close today, I want to talk about some life response, two questions for reflection, and I invite you to write these down because I I think it's a good thing to do, and just to openly before the Lord this week, ask these questions. First question for reflection, what path are you on right now? Right now. Are you on the paths of righteousness or are you on your own path where you have deviated off and you're off in some detour? Are you battling guilt today? I want to remind you that his arms are open. He is ready to restore you. He is ready to give you fresh energy and fresh hope. And I remind you to look at Psalm 32 where you see the blessedness of forgiveness and trust in God. Second question for reflection is this whose name is on your marquee right now? I mean, if you had to be honest, is your life about you? Or is your life about his honor? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for the word of God, the living book that we hold in our hands that gives us the truth that we need. And we thank you for being our shepherd We thank you for being patient with us as your sheep. And, Father, as we close today, I want to pray the words of the hymn, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. This is our prayer, Father. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures, feed us. For our use, thy folds prepare. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin. Defend us. Seek us when we go astray. Amen.